2019. I hope you're excited about it. I will tell you that my 2018, the last day of the year, did not start that well, in fact, it started pretty terribly. We had great plans for that day. We were going to do a bunch of errands around uh, town and uh, lots of chores to do around the house, and we were going to try to get a bunch of things done. And then on New Year's Day, we would just chill and like to be together as a family and rest and really enjoy the time. Uh, well, uh, the, the plan was that I would take the boys, our, our older two, and Taryn would take the baby, and she would go on three or four errands, and I would go on my three or four errands, and we would reconvene for lunch back at the house. And so before we got the, to take off the house, uh, at the house, or from the house, I'll get it right, I was hanging out in the garage doing what uh, every man loves to do, which is like organize your garage. That's part of a good vacation is to organize the garage, at least this man. That's what I love to do. So I was organizing the garage, and I hear this squeal, this screech that any, you know, parents, you probably know this screech, this squeal, like, ah! And they're like screaming about something. So I run out of the garage, and I come to find um, one of my children. I'm going to leave names out of this for their protection. Um, and so they're all, they all get in trouble eventually, so spoiler alert. So, um, but I go, and I get onto him, and I slightly raise my voice. You know, there's levels in how we get mad, and so, at least for me, and so I slightly raise my voice, get onto the first one, and say, stop doing what you're doing, and I go back in uh, to the garage to continue to do what I'm doing. About 30 seconds later, the second one, another scream. They're doing something they're not supposed to be doing, so I run out there, and it's not like the, oh, they're screaming, having a good time. It's like... That our neighbors think someone is dying here. And so I'm going out to correct that behavior. And then this time my voice is a little more elevated. It's getting a little bit louder now, you know? And so uh, correcting them, like, cut it out. Like, I'm telling you, stop it. You're driving me crazy. And so I go back into the garage and you betcha, and not even 30 seconds later, the third one, the third one, it was different ones every single time. It was not the same one. Like parents, it's nice if it's just one of them, but when you have to get onto all of them, I feel like that's how my dad raised us. It was just me and my brother. And he didn't, he would walk into a room and somebody did something wrong and he didn't really care. He's like, it's all your fault. <laughs> Everybody's getting in trouble. And so that was not the case. They were all specifically doing something they should, uh, shouldn't be doing. So this time it was not just a slight raising of the voice. I lost it. I lost my cool three times in that moment. And so the end of 2018, thinking about just really going after it in 2019. And here I am just like, oh man, lost my cool, my kids way too harsh with them in that moment for specifically for what they were doing, <clears throat> even though they shouldn't have been doing it. Um, so I, I walk away and I'm like, I gotta, I gotta get my composure. Um, and so I'm walking away. I'm walking back up to the porch and Terrence walking out. And so I'm like, okay, I guess now's the time to leave. And, and I, so I turn around and I, I go to, you know, about to tell the boys, hey, come load up in the car. And they're walking towards me and they say, we want to ride with mommy now. We don't want to, we don't want to go with you. <laughs> Makes sense, right? Um, you probably wouldn't want to, been, uh, want to be in the car with me uh, for two hours either at that very moment. Uh, and it's funny. It, it's, it's funny in, in hindsight, but in that moment, it really hurt. It really hurt. And uh, it reminded me that how I view the Father, my view of the Father, affects how much I want to spend time with Him. So the idea of us even doing prayer and fasting and seeking to know God more, to know Him more closely, 
might be marred for some of us, our desire to actually draw close to the Lord, if we have a perception of the Father that's not true, that's not, that's not aligned with God's word of who he really is. And I, I realize as, as I say the word Father, like it begins to evoke a lot of emotions for us. It does. Like, I, I don't know, besides the name of Jesus, if there's many other words out there, and, and I, I literally can't think of another word besides the name of Jesus when we say it, that it begins to stir up more emotions than the word Father. And I don't think that's specific to any one person. I, I think that's the way God created us. Just think about it for a second. As I was talking about, like, even me, like, in my, my walking through the struggles of uh, being a parent, uh, some of you, like, we begin to hear that word, and we, we think through in, in our own life, maybe, uh, where we fall short, or, or what we wish could have been, and, and what hasn't been. We begin to uh, have all these things stirred up, um, and we maybe we get visions of the past, and we think through uh, moments and, and experience, maybe in a harsh scenario like that, but when I, we say the word Father, all of us go somewhere. We all have something that begins to click in our brain and stir up in our heart because um, we, we've all had different earthly fathers. And whether we like it or not, whether we've taken the time to stop and collect it, understand this or, or not, how our relationships with our earthly fathers or non-existent relationship with our earthly fathers impacts how we view our heavenly father. My kids didn't want to spend time with me that day and in that moment because their dad had been harsh with them. And, and I know across this room that, that maybe some of you, you've, you've been fatherless in your life. There hasn't been a father there for you. Maybe your father was harsh. Maybe your father was quiet or distant. Uh, maybe your, your, your father was a workaholic or he was passive aggressive. Maybe he was a demanding father, a, a coach of a father that was always trying to correct every single behavior and just not letting you grow up and, and be. Maybe you had an abusive father. I, I, I don't know. There's a lot of different types of fathers that we have been raised around or, or not been raised around, but we come into this place with that impacting our relationship with God, whether we realize it or not. I've been doing a lot of studying on um, this word father in the scriptures, and the the first thing that really popped out to me is that as I was not even studying the scriptures, but just thinking about religions worldwide, Christianity in the Bible is the only religion that, that relates God as father. Like, Buddha isn't as father, and and Muhammad not as father. Christianity is the only religion around the world that that relates God as father. Very intimate, intimate word and connection. And as I was studying the scriptures on this, I really expected to find God as father a lot more in the Old Testament, but I, I didn't find it as much as I thought. Like, in fact, I didn't see it in Genesis. I didn't see it in Exodus or in Leviticus and Numbers. I didn't see it there at all. It showed up in Deuteronomy one time, and then it pops up in the prophets and the Psalms. And by the time we get to the New Testament and Jesus, and Jesus is like on overdrive talking about God the Father because it's, that makes sense to us, right? Like he's Jesus' son and this, his father, but he's teaching us. And he's like 150 times, 160 times in the gospels, Jesus talks about God as father. When he teaches the disciples how to pray, and we'll look at this text later in the series, 
when he teaches the disciples how to pray, he says, approach him as Father, our Father, which art in heaven. And so I, I know, like immediately when I just started, you know, by, by having this example and just saying the word Father and, and all the memories start coming up, all, all the experiences, I, I, know, I know that's painful. Like I, I, I get it, but I think God wants to do something in how we view him and we've got we've to deal with some of this heart stuff. I don't want us to carry it any further into 2019 and into this year than what we've carried it um, this, this far. So not only is no other religion um, you know, use God as father, use that imagery. But I, I, I also want to tell us in our culture that we live in today in America, there's a, a, I think that the enemy, the Satan is working overtime to distort our concept of father, to distort, to remove fathers from homes I think the enemy is working uh, overtime to degrade fathers. I think the enemy is working to destroy the relationship between a father and their child. And, and, and some of you, you, you probably in your life, you're victim to the enemy's work in that. But we are more than conquerors. We are overcomers today, and we don't have to live in what the enemy meant for evil. God will turn for good, and I want to talk about that more. I mean, if you begin to think about our culture, like think about the movies and TV shows, how a father is often depicted. A father's often depicted as caught up in his job, um, has a secret the family doesn't know about, um, is caught up in, in um, uh, you know, some illegal affairs or something, or, or they're, they're, they're um, you know, not binding to the children. They don't want to be around their children. There's all these images that's seeking to really degrade. In fact, all around the world, in our city, go to Lima, Peru, you know, go down to, to uh, the slums in Africa, and, and you want to know what every community leader there that, that would say, you know what the real issue is here? You know what we really need to focus on if we're going to correct and, and bring our people out of poverty? Talk to some community leaders. Begin to look up uh, interviews with this. They'll say, we need fathers to step up. We need fathers to step up. Poverty is linked to fatherlessness. That doesn't mean that's, that's always the case, but so many times it is around the world. And I think it is with our spiritual life too. I think it's with our spiritual life too. That when we are, 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 don't realize we've been chosen, adopted, and brought into the family of God and we're carrying father baggage uh, into our life, it's affecting our relationship with God. And so uh, we're going to turn into a text into the Old Testament, which is one of the more rare places that we'll find God as Father. But I want to turn to Isaiah chapter 64 as we launch this new series called The Father's Heart. The Father's Heart. Isaiah 64 verse 5 through 8. I want to land on on verse 8 and really process that, but let's begin with verse 5 for some context. Uh, You come to the help of those who gladly do right, who remember your ways. But when we continue to sin against them, you were angry. And how then can we be saved? All of us become like one who is unclean, and all our righteous acts are like filthy rags. We all shrivel up like a leaf, and like the wind, our sins sweep us away. No one calls on your name. No one strives to lay hold of you, for you have hidden your face from us and have made us waste away because of our sins, or you've given us over to our sins. And finally, verse 8, yet you, O Lord, are our Father. We're the clay. You are the potter. 
We are all the work of your hand. I, I found this text. I was kind of uh, um, jarred for a second as I was reading through this text. And, and it kind of sounds like the story I was just telling about me and my kids. Like when they're doing right, you come to their aid. But, uh, but when they continued to sin, you became angry. So the prophet is processing aloud what the people are experiencing in their life experiencing distance, experiencing um, uh, moments in which uh, God has given them over to their sins, given them over to uh, what they want to do. Like, you want to do it? Fine. Just, just go do it. Come on. Every parent has that moment where like, okay, if you're going to touch the stove, you're going to have to find out the hard way. And God does that. I want to share just a few simple thoughts for us out of, out of this text here. And Isaiah 64, real simple thoughts for us to begin the year, but I think they're, they're simple, but they're so important that we need to, to grab a hold of them. And how the Father views you and the Father's heart for you. The first is that, that the Father chose you for eternity. He chose you for eternity. I don't know if you've interviewed for a job recently or been in a large pool of candidates for a job or maybe you were trying out for a team in which there was a lot of people as a child. Maybe you can remember that some of you guys are young enough to, to be trying out for teams. Um, some of you not so much. Um, but uh, we uh, remember maybe those moments in which we've been in a pool of candidates and, and maybe we, we got passed over on certain uh, accounts and that doesn't feel good. It doesn't feel good to get rejected. We battle with that and we don't like that feeling. But just imagine for me for a second, let's all just bring it to the present moment for ourselves. If you uh, were in a large pool of candidates for a job that you really, really wanted, and out of a thousand candidates, you were chosen. You. Yeah, you among a thousand candidates to be selected for this job, it feels good. Like, you're like, yeah, that would be amazing. It would make me feel really good about myself. There's this feeling of when we know we're chosen especially over others. Like, we just kind of like that. Well, you know, it chose me over them. Like, it's even better. But I want us to know, and this is what God does with us. He, he chooses us. Not just for temporary to sit in, in a position for a couple of years. Not, not to, 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 to jump into a team for a season. He chose you for eternity. I read 2 Peter 3.9 a few weeks ago that the Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise as some understand slowness. Instead, he's patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish. Like, what is the Father's heart for you? He doesn't want any of us to perish. But he wants all of us to come to repentance, to realize that, that, that we need to be shaped and molded in the hands of our God. John 15, Jesus is talking to his disciples, John 15, 16, and he says, you did not choose me, but I chose you and I appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit, fruit that will last, and uh, so that whatever you ask in my name, the Father will give you. He continues to connect this idea of the Father and with us being chosen. The Father chose you for eternity. I, I know that sounds good, and I think as we, some of you who have maybe been around uh, here at Fathom for a while, you've heard this message, 
that, that God chose you. you, you you've heard that. Um, and it's good to hear, but it's another thing to, that's actually how I think about God when I think about God, that he chose me. Because it's hard. Because a lot of us in our life, we, we feel like we haven't been chosen. In fact, over and over again, we feel like we've been passed over. Maybe from the time of a, uh, of a young child where um, our father didn't choose us. They chose their addiction. They chose uh, their work. They, they chose another family. They, like, there's all these baggage that gets carried into it. And, and whether we want to or not, it affects the way we see our heavenly father. And we just have trouble receiving this truth that he would choose us. We don't feel worthy. And what this text tells us is that it's not about that. It's, it's not about us being chosen because we're worthy. In fact, when we went on in our disobedient ways, even when God was like, you're just going to have to find out by touching the stove yourself. Like you're just going to give us over to our fleshly desires. Even yet you are a father. You're not going anywhere. You're not surprised. You're not judgmental. And you certainly will not forsake us. You'll never leave or forsake us. Imagine a woman uh, of a, by the name of Susan who, um, when she was young, her, her father um, left and uh, never heard from him again. And uh, as she was growing up, her, her mom had several live-in boyfriends, I think four live-in boyfriends and just never... Uh, none of them ever stuck. You know, they just kind of came through and she never built a relationship. So there was never a male figure at her dance recitals, never a male figure at her softball games. And, and so she just carried kind of some of this father, you know, not being chosen uh, baggage through life. Eventually she'll, she'll meet a man and man's name's Greg and Greg's awesome. Like he's, he's the type of man that every woman would love to, to have in her life because he was gentle and, and compassionate and caring and faithful to Susan, and, um, but she always had trouble receiving his love, always because she was worried that he's, he's thinking about someone else or he would rather be somewhere else, and he had never said anything to the like, but always in the back of her mind, she's believing that he's going to find something better to do. He'll, he'll eventually see that, that she's too much and, and, and move on, and, and this carried on, and it began to really affect her, her marriage and her relationship with her her husband, and it didn't just affect her, her marriage, but it began to affect her whole life. It, it, it affected her relationship with God. Like she, she didn't, um, like anything that would positive would happen, she couldn't see the positive. She always saw the negative. Anytime something negative would happen, she would say, where is God in that? And it was just a streaming statement to her soul that thinks that God's abandoned her, just like her dad did. It's not the truth for Susan, which that's a made-up story, but it's not a made-up story because it's sitting on a row this morning with a different face and different name and a little bit of different inflections to the story, but it's a very real story that some of us are living out because we feel like we haven't been chosen by our earthly fathers. They chose something else. But today we can know, like, what do we do with this truth? Like, what if, what if we begin to receive this truth today that, that God chooses us, that he chooses us? Now, among a thousand, among a million candidates, he chose us to, to be his sons and daughters, to carry on the goodness, to carry out the light and salt in the earth, to carry on the gospel message. He 
chose us. What, how could we respond to that? Well, it's really simple. We just choose him back. <laughs> you chose me, I'll choose you back. I, I remember when Taryn and I stood and did our wedding vowels at, at um, our wedding, and we looked each other in the eyes, and we said, I do. And the other said, I do. And uh, all throughout the scripture, there's lots of imagery, there's lots of uh, metaphors, and another one of those is that Christ as the bridegroom and the church, uh, us, body of believers, we're his bride. And he says, I do. And I've never done this before. I'm marrying a few couples this year, and, uh, and I'm going to start doing this. I, I've never made this a point, but I'm always going to begin to ask the husband first. I don't know if I've ever done this. I may have done it on accident, but I've never thought about it. I'm always going to ask the husband first. You know, when I go through the whole thing, do you say, I do, to this. Because God loved us first. The Father loved us first. We did not choose him. He chose us. Our response is to choose him back. Yeah, I do. I love you back. The second thing that, that I want to pull from this very simple text is that the Father loves us unconditionally. He loves you unconditionally. Let me paint another picture with a young man by the name of James, who's a Chinese-American, who moved to the United States when his family was very young. They immigrated here, and um, uh, James's parents worked very hard. They worked 24-7. I mean, some of those parents, they worked very hard to provide a good life for their children that they could have the American dream. They worked all the time. They eventually saved up enough money for, to open a convenience store of their own. And, and if work was busy before, now they're working even more because they're they're owners of a, a small business. And, and all the time, they would come home and they would tell James, um, you go and you, and, and you reach your, your, your dreams and you reach your potential. And they were very hard on him as he was in school. And, and James began to take on this, this baggage in his life of, um, of making his parents proud. Not the worst thing in the world for a kid to carry, to make mom and dad proud. But he felt he owed it to his parents for all their sacrifices. And when he, he didn't perform well in his grades, they got on to him. And eventually, James grew up to, to be a, an extremely intelligent young man, graduated as a salutatorian in his high school class and top of his, his med school uh, class when he was in college. He would go on to, to be a surgeon, and not just a surgeon, but a surgeon that was regionally known regionally known in the area of like, let's say, Northeast Florida. He was known and people would travel to him. And every time he would perform a surgery or, or among his colleagues, they always said, James, you're just brilliant. Like he's the best doctor we've got. We're so happy to have him here. They would just build him up. And, and every single time someone would say something positive about him, he would be personally degrading himself. No, that's not true. And if he didn't do it out loud, he did it in his head. He, he couldn't receive that because he didn't feel it was true. Because mom and dad never said, I'm proud of you. Because he always felt like their love was dependent upon his performance. If he didn't get the grades, if he didn't measure up, then he had let them down. And again, it's a, it's a story to bring to light the reality that that is our story for some of us been raised by demanding fathers. 
We've been raised by coach fathers, uh, 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 fathers and parents who, in, in our life, uh, they loved us when we were doing everything right. But when we were wrong, they were harsh with us. We get a picture of, of God's unconditional love in Luke chapter 15 when we look at the prodigal son. Um, I love this. I love this story. It's so deep, and I don't know if there's a better story to really teach through God as father than, than the prodigal son. But Luke chapter 15, it, it's a story Jesus is telling, and, and he, he tells him um, that there's this, that tells uh, his disciples there's this, this uh, young man, and uh, he came, and, and he said, hey, I want my inheritance now, basically saying, I wish you were dead to his father. And uh, he runs off with his inheritance, and he lives, spends his inheritance on wild living, and he eventually hits the bottom, right? We all hit the bottom at some point. And we're like, okay, that's enough of me trying to do this thing on my own. But what begins to happen in the prodigal son in that moment he, when he decides, okay, I need to come back and repent. I need to come back to my father. He's got this really jacked up, warped view when he comes back. I don't know if you notice it, if you've read it in Luke chapter 15. He's hoping that he can come back and work for his dad. Like he can arrange a business arrangement for his father. He, there's no way that he can conceive that his father would just let him step back into it. He's wasted everything. Like he's, he said, yeah, I wish you were dead. Like he's, he said all these type of things toward his father. And yet that's not the, the picture that Jesus paints of the father in the least bit. The father actually raises his, his garment to go running towards the son when the son is coming towards him. A picture of God's unconditional love that it doesn't matter how far you've gone. It doesn't matter the times in which you said, you're, you're dead to me. Like, like you're not even there yelling at God, maybe screaming in your car on the way here. I don't know. Not even knowing why you're here today. But that he loves you unconditionally and he is running towards you today. He loves you unconditionally. And it's good. Like we can know that. Like, yeah, I know I'm supposed to believe that. But I, I just have trouble believing that because we can probably fill in the blank there. That he loves us unconditionally. And you can begin to gauge this in your life when you find yourself making a mistake, falling short of the glory of God, which Romans 3.23 says we all will and we all have. When you feel that, the next few thoughts, when you think about God, that emotion that you feel right there is how you view God. And let me just say, it's a work in progress for all of us. But God wants us over the next few weeks, I don't know if you know what a sifter is, like if you go to the beach, not like a flower sifter, but if you go to the beach and you you sift out things, and usually on the beach you want to collect things that are precious, you want to keep the good stuff and toss the old stuff. I believe over the next few weeks, God's going to help us sift through a lot of this stuff in our prayer life, as we journal, as we open our hearts to align ourselves. It's not just align ourselves with his will. It's aligning ourselves with a true, uh, appropriate view of who God is in our life. God's going to sift out some of the negative, marred views that we've taken. You know, a lot of times when we, we think of the unconditional love, it's, uh, we, we look back to the scripture in Isaiah 64, and it's not just when we've, we've made mistakes, but it's even our righteousness, that's not good enough. Like, like for the, in the story that I was telling James, like it was never good enough. 
And, and the truth of the matter, what this scripture tells us is that our righteousness, our very best day as a Christian, as a follower of Jesus, like your very best day, you have killed it. Like you feel like you are walking like Billy Graham style around the streets. Um, you, you're walking in that place. On that day, your righteousness, like your good works are like filthy rags. It's never going to be good enough. And, and some of us in this room, like our response when we mess up is, I got to work harder. I got to work harder. I got to work harder and not in, I need to go deeper in my relationship with Christ. I, I, I need to be found in him. I need to be healed. I need to be whole. I need to experience freedom in Christ. Not, I got to work harder. I got to work harder because it's never going to be enough. Like you're going to, you will find this out one day. You will spend your life performing for God and you will stand before him and realize, I did it wrong. I did it all wrong. I did all these things in your name, yet it was like filthy rags, like used menstruation rags. Like for years and years, centuries, pastors would not even use that phrase because it was so disgusting of an image. But that's what our very best day is in light of God's glory and goodness. It's not good enough. That's why God sent his son, Jesus, to make a way to the Father for us. Jesus is not only the perfect example of what a loving father is and who the father is, Jesus made a way to the father for us. And we must be so thankful. Like, what's our response? Like, so what are we supposed to do? Like, not try? No, no, no. I, I think what happens to me in response to God's unconditional love is it brings a peace over performance. Like, I know I'm, I'm not doing good to perform for God in order to earn my way to heaven because I know that's not going to work out for me. But I have, I have peace and a settledness. And, and daily, I have to understand that when I wake up today, I don't need to perform for God. But he loves me. He, he chose me unconditionally. No matter what happens, at this very moment, God could not love you any more than he loves you right now. And it doesn't matter how bad you've messed it up in 2018 and your whole life you feel like it's just been one story after another of you missing the mark. It doesn't matter. God could not love you any less than he loves you. You cannot escape his love. He loves you unconditionally. And I pray my, your response is peace over performance. Uh, the, the final thing here is that the Father wants to shape you into his image. Like I said, Jesus is that perfect image of the Father on this earth. So he, you say, hey, I, I, I've, I haven't had a good father. I haven't had a good example. Uh, I haven't had an example at all. You want to know a good one? All through the Gospels, check out those red letters. Check out the life of Jesus, like you are not left alone. The scriptures, Paul uses it all the time, that we've been adopted into the family of God. Even if you don't know your siblings or you're estranged from your siblings, you've been adopted into the family of God. As you have sons, you have uh, brothers and sisters in Christ today. Isaiah immediately transitions from this idea of God as father to us as clay. To us as clay and God as the potter. 
We see this often in the changing of imagery. Jesus uses a similar type of thing in John chapter 15. I am the true vine, and my father is the gardener. My father's the gardener. He's like, he's like two things, and so it's like a lot to download. What does that mean? He prunes everything, cuts everything in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may be even more fruitful. Romans 8, 29 says, for those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. He's called us. He, he knew it. He chose you that you would be conformed to his image, that we would be conformed to his image. And Christ is the, is the firstborn among many brothers and sisters, the first one to live that out. And he lived it out in a perfect way. To be conformed into his image really just means another way to align ourselves with his heart. Right? What was what, what I say about, about fasting? It's about aligning ourselves with the heart of God that we might reflect his image. And why does God need to shape us? Like why? Like it, if he loves us, if he chose us, like why, why does he need to shape us? Well, for our sake. Like God wants to shape you for your sake. I, I don't <laughs> I don't know what you see when you look in the mirror. Well, I do. I mean, you see yourself, right? Um, I, don't, I don't know what you really see, though, when you look in the mirror. I don't know if you love that, that picture that you see looking back at you or if you hate everything about it. Um, I, don't, I don't know, but I know deep within your heart, if we were to remove the physical appearance and we would just look in the mirror with our heart. God wants to shape our hearts, not shape our actions. And so many of us, like our relationship to the church has been like shape actions, shape actions, shape actions. And when you start a new year, you want to change your habits, you want to change your actions, and, and that's not how God does it. He chose you, he loves you unconditionally, and he wants to shape you in his image, and he's going to do it from the heart. And everything else flows from that. That's why Jesus said to guard it. Guard your heart. Um, and so I, I know across this place why, why we're wondering, like, why does God need to shape us? One, it's for us. It's for our sake. It's for your family's sake. It's for your family's sake. And it's for the sake of the world around you. God has chosen you. He's chosen you to bear good fruit. Not just peace and patience, but to bear good works that lead people towards the kingdom of God, towards the kingdom of heaven. God has put unique giftings and abilities inside of you to build up his kingdom because we live in a world that's dying to see the Father. And the enemy is working overtime to distort that image, to separate fathers and their children. And we've got a lot of people who are spiritually um, impoverished and God wants to use us he wants us to use us to carry about the good news, that there's hope, that, that he's chosen others, and he's also loved them, that he can use us in this time. As, as we start off new year, I know new goals, new resolutions, maybe to eat healthier, get in the gym. I'm sure you've got uh, some of those going on in your life. I want us to make one goal together, and that goal is to come. We want to know the Father more. 
We want to know who he really is. We want to draw closer to God. We want to make the most of every single opportunity to come to know God more. But I know that's a, that's a struggle for some of us because we find ourselves here today and with this image of clay, our clay is really hard and crusty. We're jaded by church that have hurt us. We're, we're, we're jaded by fathers who, uh, who, who forgot about us, who didn't choose us. We, we find our, our clay is really hard this morning. I know, I know some of you may feel in that place and like, what, what do I do? Like, I, I want to be shaped. I, I, I want to see that, that image, but like, I'm, I'm, I can't right now. I'd say we need to seek. I, I think prayer and fasting is a great place to start with us. But we need to seek for a true picture of who God is. Not a distorted view. That means we've got to deal with the father issues in our life. I think it's a, it's a great place to start. We've got to begin to sift out as we read the word. We need to just not, not read it and check it off our list. That's performance. That's a performance mentality. Oh, look, God, I did it today. And we're, it's going to leave us empty on the daily. But if we stop and we read a scripture, we just stop and say, what does that mean? Just read one scripture. Quit trying to read the whole Bible in a day. Like just read one scripture. Just let it speak and write it down and just like let God speak. What does that mean that I'm your clay? Like what kind of clay am I? Processing that, letting God speak and, and really getting a true picture of who God is. I think that means putting yourself in community, in a group in the next few weeks as we launch those, putting yourself around people who will remind you, remind you and bring you back to the clear picture of who God is. Because the thing is, is we can't even see the messed up image we have. I, I think about like our own vision uh, until something happens. Um, I, I think uh, about like our, our vision, like some of you got 2020, some of you got like 2010 or 2030. I don't know how that goes, but um, you, you didn't realize it probably when you were a young kid until you like failed a test. And they're like, why are you failing a test? Like, I don't know. Like, I don't know. We're like, well, can you see the board all right? No. Something had to happen in order to bring it up. And, and I'm saying, let's, let's skip past something having to happen and let's like shake it out. Some things have probably already happened. We don't need anything else to happen. Let's shake it out and let God get us a clear picture of who he is. Let's seek for a true picture. And then for me, I'd say the final thing is the band comes and we're, and we're going to sing a song together as we close, but um, has been to become a true worshiper. Like a true worshiper, like every day, all the time, like like worshiper. I'm not talking about singing, I'm talking about from your heart in response to his mercy is to live my life as a living sacrifice to him. Like to, to bring that to him for a long time, I, I, when I worshipped, I didn't worship honestly. I got to the point where I'd sing the songs, and I'd go through the flow, and I was a good church kid. But I, I didn't think that God could handle my honesty. And as we go through these psalms this month, um, you're going to see some of them that will really lean in, and, and they're brutally honest. They're brutally honest. God, God can handle that. Um, for many years, it was like my, my worship was, was, I was always thinking about like, I don't like this song or I don't know this song or the drums are too loud. And, and my focus was all messed up. It wasn't from my heart. And on a daily basis, when I would go and, and, and try to do good, my heart wasn't 
in the right place. I was doing good to perform for God. It was all, it was all wrong. I was not operating out of, no, he chose me. And he loves me unconditionally. No matter what I've done, no matter how good I am, no matter how bad I am, he loves me. And it's in that place where I'm like, I can like have this clear picture of who he is that I can really worship him. Because I know I'm not trying to perform. And it hits home. And it's like, I just want to... I just want to re- give that back to you. I just want to release that back to you, what you've given. And so the next few minutes, I'm going I'm to pray for us and invite you to stand and sing this song with us. But I pray that it's way more in the next few minutes than singing a song with us. I pray that it is honest worship and declaration of who God has called you to be. You're going to have an opportunity. There's, there's the cups up here and um, the communion elements are, are present. We do this every single week if you're new here. We do it as a reminder. Jesus said do it every time you get together so that we will not forget what he did, that it's not about our righteousness, it's not about our good works, it's about what Jesus Christ did at the cross. There's going to be folks to pray at the crosses, and and this altar is a place for you to come and respond to what God's doing in your heart and your life right now. If you need somebody to pray with you, man, I, I want to sift this out. I want to see what's going on. If, if maybe even now as a parent, like I just confessed some of my story, so you're not the only one, you know, feeling like we're falling short and I'm carrying things over from my past and I want to cut it off in this generation, then come on, let's, let's find freedom today in the presence of God, knowing that he chose us and he loves us and he wants to shape us. So let's just make sure we're wet, we're moldable clay in his presence this morning. Let's stand. I want to pray for you and this band's going to lead us. God, I thank you for these next few moments in which we're going to worship. We're going to lift our, our hearts. We're going to lift our hands, God. And we're, and not, we're not going to fake our way, but we just want to be honest, God. We just want to truly give you praise for choosing us, God, for loving us. We just want to choose you back to do that through worship today, God. As we come to the table and we break bread together, I pray that no person feels alone today, but God, together we're one in Christ. That, that, the, that the prayer of the Son to the Father is that we would be one as he and the Father are one. God, I pray that as we come and we declare that we're chosen, we're not forsaken, we are who you say you are, God, that that would become real to us, God, deep within our soul, God, uh, baggage and and bondage would begin to break off of our hearts. From many years ago, where our our, our parents or our fathers left us or who were absent or who were harsh with us or aggressive or abusive, God, we would know, God, there was a clear picture of who the Father is in the face of Jesus. That we're accepted where we are. And you want to lead us far beyond that, God. Because we're your workmanship. We are your masterpiece. God, we thank you for this time. And we come boldly to the, to the table. In Christ's name, amen.